0: Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whittaker.
1: And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators. The EduFuturist Futurist Podcast.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Edgy Futurist podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today we have got a fantastic guest, a man who have been trying to get on the podcast for quite a while now, so it, it's fantastic that he can join us. It's Ben Rouse. Ben is a former mathematics teacher who has worked with schools, districts and organisations on implementing change through educational technology since 2012 when he took his own school through a Google for Education implementation
2: Ben now leads the Google Relationship for Apps events, uh, Google for Education professional development partner. This involves working directly with the Google for Education team to design, create, and deliver on a range of training experiences, including instructional design for experiences at conferences such as South by Southwest, ISTE, and BET. He is a Google educator, trainer, and innovator, and also holds an MA Master's
1: degree in leading innovation and changing education, and tweets at... Uh, mr underscore b rouse
2: the podcast by educators for educators the edu futurist podcast so ben uh thanks so much for coming on as dan said we've been uh, been trying to uh, find dates um, but to get you on for a while but you're just so busy you're such in demand you're all around the world so thank you so much for coming on
3: that, that makes me sound so much more interesting than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've been trying to track him down.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it is true, and it's great to have you on. I know that we've wanted to talk to you. You've been uh, influential, and I, I always try and do this when people have had an influence on uh, on what we've done. Uh, me and Dan were at an event that you were uh, leading on at Old Trafford um, quite a while ago. And uh, and Steve. Uh, Steve you, was there. Remember, we
0: we figured it out. Steve was actually in the room as well.
2: And yeah, Steve was in the room.
1: That's the first time we'd ever met, and didn't actually even uh, speak to each other. So pretty much yeah. like the time that when we get to the, <laughs> to the conference in the summer.
2: Yeah, yeah. But but, it, but you were you were super um, helping us in in getting into the idea around this uh, Google stuff. So we want to, we want to thank you for that, but also want to pick your brains a little bit and uh, talk about some of the stuff on education and the future of education because you you're having a huge impact and doing loads of stuff all around the world. So. We're uh, really grateful for you to come on. So the first thing I want to talk to you about um, and bring up in conversation is you did a presentation at a Google event in, I think it was in Birmingham. Was it in Birmingham?
3: Yeah, my hometown.
2: Yeah, so you didn't have to travel very far, but you did a presentation on a book by Chip and Dan Heath about the power of moments. And uh, one of the the, the kind of subtitles to that book is why certain experiences have extraordinary impact. And you talked about that in terms of education. I wondered if you could uh, talk about why that book and, and, and what it meant for you.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, first of all, the, the event in Birmingham was interesting because that was the same location that we had at my, uh, my school prom. Um, so, just like I did on the night of my prom I went back to my parents' house afterwards. So, it's really, really exciting, sort of reminiscing time. Um, but that particular book, um, I kind of stumbled through some things like uh, Make It Stick and some other of their books. Um, but particularly The Power of Moments kind of boils down all of these moments that you remember for the whole of your life, um, whether they be significant kind of positive moments or otherwise. Um, Chip and Dan Heath had kind of sifted through lots and lots of examples of those and uh, came away realising there are there are kind of four key ingredients to that. Um, so the concept being that if you know the ingredients for these moments that you remember forever, then in theory, you can create them. So rather than going through education, hoping that a few things stick for the learners, you've got this opportunity to actually engineer those moments of like moments of insight, the tripping over the truth moments, when you suddenly have that penny drop experience um, or whether it be like a moment of pride. And there's some really good examples, as you know, in the book of um, kind of graduation ceremonies or taking the mock trial from school and actually placing it in the uh, a, a sort of court of law to give that additional, just it's um, kind of dialing up the experience um, or making, or as it says in the book, making the peaks peakier. Um, so that just really appealed to me as a, as a former math teacher um, because I, I'm not unaware that for some people in the world, maths isn't always their favourite subject. Um, so my approach to math teaching was often kind of wrapping it up in an experience that might kind of fool kids into learning a bit more about maths than they kind of thought they would as they come in. And uh, there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of barriers to get through with math teaching when people kind of walk into the room and be like, oh, it's maths, I hate maths. You're like, right, okay good start <laughs> I was going to try and pick that um so yeah it kind of appealed to my the way I'd approach a lot of teaching um by being a bit crazy sometimes and actually I, I said I was from Birmingham but you can't really tell from my accent um but one of my uh behavior techniques in the classroom was if everyone was behaving then I'd deliver all of my lessons in a Brummie accent so they'd really love it because I taught in Epsom so they had no concept of it and speaky Blinders hadn't been really released at that
0: point. And, ba-
3: <laughs> and then basically if, if anyone started to chatter or misbehave or, or stop concentrating, then I'd turn back into my normal voice, which normally meant that like the roughest, toughest kid in class would tell everyone to be quiet. So I went back to the Brummy accent. Um, so it's things like that really, are those moments that maybe they do remember, even though, you know, it, it kind of hopefully led to them learning about SERDs a bit
0: better. So what are these four key ingredients, Ben? I'm like I'm dying to know here. What's that? What are these four key ingredients of these moments? <laughs> yeah, I'm racking my
3: brain to remember. Sure I got all four down. <laughs> um, so you've got moments of pride, which is kind of the stepping up on stage moment. Um, there's the insight, the kind of tripping over the truth, and there's a wonderful story about poo. In the book, that's definitely worth reading for that kind of
2: yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> it's it's not
3: quite as crude as it sounds. It's got purpose. Um, there's moments of connection, so kind of that band of brothers thing uh, where you've you've been put into a situation that maybe a bit challenging, but together you kind of form that bond. Um, probably kind of the Marines is a great example of that. Um, and then Ben's going to have to help me out on the fourth one, which is the uh, elevation, the, uh, elevation, the the. Yeah. And that's the one that really kind of resonates in education because um, there's a study that was, was where, where someone asked, and I'll have to look at, I'll look at the, the actual name of the researcher, but they looked at people's educational moments, what they remembered, and more often than not, people remember a kind of ugly duckling moment. I thought I was really bad at this. I thought I was no good. And then someone helped me to realise I actually was. Um, and so you've got a, a lot of those moments that I'm sure all of you have probably, you may not even know it, but in the, in that smile down the corridor to that kid who's having a bad day. And, you know, oh, I, thought I, I thought no one cared about me, but the teacher took time to speak to me um, and that, and that kind of thing. So those are the ones that are also really interesting educationally. So I,
2: think it, I think on that as well is it ties into something that you do, Steve, up at Leeds, um, and we've been talking about it today in uh, in Burnley where I am, um, about the I'm in stuff, um, yeah. about about recognising moments and celebrating that, but also not forgetting the small moments. And, and people, one, you said at one point, that some of these people never have anybody smile and them or say good morning to them. It might be the first time they've had that, but celebrating that in, in schools and colleges is really important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so we, we the I Ironman um, brand is, 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 is a massive thing, and I won't go into too much elements of it, but we have a, a massive demographic of students that come from really um, poor backgrounds. Uh, sometimes that they've had to walk into college, um, they might be young carers, they might have got dressed in a dark, might not have had breakfast before they come in, and a lot of times, actually, they, they've not had a smile. So we have a, a culture where every member of staff Regardless of your role, we'll take it in terms of stand at every entrance gate, and we've got quite a few campuses, and just say hello to students when they come in. And that that started with just an hello, and how are you doing? Good morning, uh, welcome to college. And then it's really diverged into to be uh, you've got creative arts staff that um, put a band together, and we're singing like "Here Ya" yeah, when the students came in for one day, and I was just like, you know what? Those are the bits where students have to always remember certain elements in terms of lessons, but it's about building the collective, building those moments and that belonging. And if they remember those moments, they'll come back for it, I think, and, and that's what we try and do uh, as a college. Um, it's a cultural thing. It, we, we we try and push a culture of support.
3: It's so, it's so many little changes, isn't it? Just getting out there in the morning to be on the gate to say hello. It doesn't take a lot, but it's so important. It makes such a
1: difference. Yeah. And, and, and that's every member of staff that we have a focus where it's all about education um, uh, which is really really important and, and, and I suppose that's different from staff to staff I know you mentioned you're a maths teacher some of our maths teachers are a little bit more reserved and sometimes when they're sitting in their offices they maybe don't even speak to each other but being, lifting, lifting your head up when you're walking around the corridor and just having those moments of conversation with students are human as well and, and, and that's really important I think in education that we forget that sometimes we speak to students differently to how we would do each other
3: yeah, yes. yeah. I, I remember speaking to a student who I think I think I bumped into him at a social venue, uh, pub, uh, home a couple of years <laughs> after, after he'd left the school, and he was kind of talking again about like what he remembered and the teachers that he liked. And he said um, the one teacher he particularly remembered, he made a joke in class, uh, and he was waiting for like you know to be chastised, and the teacher laughed, <laughs> and he's like the teacher found it funny, so they laughed. Um, and that right really stuck with him. And he said, oh, I was golden for that teacher from then on, just because they showed a bit of humility, really. And like, oh, it's a funny joke. I'll laugh. Um, <laughs> was a little bit. So making for such a huge impact.
2: Yeah. And I think when it comes back to that moment stuff, I think it's worth like going into that about making milestones and about being intentional about that. So especially, and I don't, I don't want to be that nerd that mentions the education inspection framework at this point. But that concept around intent and being intentional about why, about building those moments um, is, is really key. We've been doing some um, some observations with staff today uh, and so had some inspectors in um, to help us do that. And one of the things around that was around focusing more on intent and how you manage the moments. Um, and I thought it made me, made me think about the book. It made me think about those those lessons that you remember as a kid, uh, or and and that's what that's what that's what we all want to do as teachers and make things memorable. Because if they are sat in an exam, yeah, that is one reason why it needs to be memorable. But the reality is, is you want them to, you want them to remember this stuff. I I remember Pythagoras' theorem, and it's been a long time since I used that. Uh, but uh, I don't know if anybody made it memorable. But I just remember having to think around uh, like the process of learning that and making it making it memorable i remember mr palmer i think it was that taught me pythagoras
3: theorem do you remember a particular technique putting you on the spot um
2: uh, no but i know that he made us walk <laughs> he made us walk around triangles so he had triangles put on put on the floor and he would talk about the hypotenuse and he'd like go into what the word hypotenuse meant and then he'd talk about right angle triangles and then we we walked around it and talked about some of the the square, the sum of the... Right, well, something like that. But- I know it's something like that. I do know what it is. I know it's... it's very it, memorable. But- <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great example, Evan. <laughs> a squared equals B squared plus C squared. That's what it means.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, dear, now, us let's, 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 not, let's not ruin it at that well, moment. Let's, let's put Mr. Rouse on the spot there. Right. So I, I, I was at the, 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 the conference that you delivered, Ben, and, 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 and you know what? I don't want to blow smoke up your, your backside, but absolutely class. And, and it was quite a memorable presentation for me and something that I've learned from, what would you say is one of your takeaway moments, one of your making a moment in terms of some of the places, experience that you've had, and and why were those memorable?
3: Ooh, you're up at me. It's a good one, though. Um, You know, I've listened to loads of podcasts, and people say, that's a really good question, and I always have a go at them. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because
3: I know what they're doing. They don't know the answer, and they're buying time, and I've just done it. So (laughs) Good good technique, good technique. Great question, Stephen. Great question. Um... I think I think like the without being too predictable the um Innovator Academy or the Google Teacher Academy that I did back in 2013. So and actually there's a fair few of your previous guests that were at that cohort as well. So uh, Dean Stokes and Ollie I know you've had on. Um you had Mark, Le- uh, Mark, Mark Allen and Dan Layton on as well. There we have. So they were also um in that cohort. Mark Allen was actually my team leader or coach. Um, so he's like the Obi one of, of Google for Education, um, pretty much. But yeah, that sitting at that event um, and sort of discovering this network of, of really inspirational people, and just hearing—there um, was a, one educator from the States who showcased how they'd used Google Earth and a few other tools to kind of tell a story. And I tell you what, when she sh- she just showed her video that the children had made on uh, using a few of these tools. And he, unless you were dead inside, you know, there wasn't a dry eye in the house because it was just um, it was so it was such an amazing learning experience. One of those where you're like, God, I wish I'd been in her class when I was growing up. Um, and it's kind of bits like that when you kind of see the passion that people have for education. Um in a way that you, you don't just sit back and go, you're too good that I'm just going to give up. But that bit that kind of inspires you to go back into your own classroom and kind of, yeah, stick at it, try a few things out. And um, actually also there was a an educator called Stephanie Ladbrook, who um, was a primary teacher based in Dudley at the time. And she was, she did a, a short session where she was talking about using technology in the classroom um. And that was a very nice turning point for me is because in that whole talk, I didn't really reflect that she talked about technology at all. And um, what she talked about was the impact and the outcome of the learning process, which happened to involve some technology. So they were doing a rainforest project and the outcome of their rainforest project was they spoke to a local company and that local company ended up changing their packaging to a more sustainable source because of that class's rainforest project. Now, it involved some technology along the way, but it very much wasn't like a particular feature of her talk. It was more about the learning outcomes. So that, that kind of uh, resonated a lot for me as well.
0: Yeah, that's cool. When you talked about your the Google Teacher Academy, I was doing my research for this interview this morning, and uh, I came across your, your application video on YouTube.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So it's fair to say that the bar is a lot higher these days. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, play it that.
1: <laughs> have you seen mine? It, it's definitely not higher. My video was probably will go down the history of the worst ever submitted. Video. Hey, you're in. You go you're going to Stockholm. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's been my idea. It definitely was on the video. me sort of a white wall with a white shirt on talking through it.
3: I I actually yeah, I re rewatched that recently because we were doing some work with potential innovators. Uh, right. Um so I thought I wanted to I wanted to show them that the video doesn't have to be perfect, so I thought I'd show them mine. Well, here we go. Uh, here it is. Oh, <laughs> think... <laughs> my motivation for using technology in the classroom has always been learning. Students, I found, needed help at times when I wasn't always in a position to give it their... So anyone with any musical background they're <laughs> always wondering, why did he choose such a, a dour <laughs> tune <laughs> in the background of it? Uh. I'm liking the,
0: uh, the, hand, the live handwriting... Motivated by leading change,
3: I've i mean, everyone uses PowToon for their uh, yeah. for video, the don't they?
1: It sounds like the first ever B-side to to the street Sounds like the first, <laughs> the first demo that never made the album. But I'd buy it. I'd buy it.
3: I'd Yeah, things have things have moved on a lot. I uh, I did a <laughs> keynote um, a few years back, which I kind of. <laughs> just to make, basically it was a keynote based on making everyone in the audience feel better um, that if I could stand in front of them and talk about stuff, look at all the um, the useless stuff I've created in the past. And I found my first wiki space that I used in the classroom. Um, does wiki spaces mean anything to you guys? <laughs> I've never heard of it, to be honest.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow. Uh, let me tell you about a time <laughs> when so you could... Wikispaces, you can make a free website and you can add collaborators. That's
2: my by the way, then. <laughs> I know, I know.
3: That's right, I learned from the best. Um, yeah, I found my sort of first class Wikispace. It was my year 10 uh, math class and um, I gave them editing access to this Wikispace and we had, so I had the PC in the classroom and I had one laptop that I managed to scrounge and the laptop would rotate around the class and during the lesson, one student per day was allocated to writing up the lesson, taking some photos. I they, They'd they tell me what to take photos of, and I'd add it to it afterwards. Uh, and I also put like a Google form in there, which was for lesson feedback, uh, a Google form that was attached to my Gmail account. Uh, so, yeah, so all of that kind of stuff, really interesting. One student's feedback on one lesson where I flipped the classroom. So I did videos for homework, and then in they came and kind of applied it. Uh, one student's feedback was, you're the teacher, you're meant to teach. (laughs) wow. So that was also a moment of realising not every kid is kind of a digital native who wants technology to course through everything. Um, So, yeah. That would be
0: really interesting to see if he's a teacher now. I need to find out what he's doing. He's a clever,
1: he's a a smart lad, he was. (laughs) He's the chief researcher on the new flipped um, flipped applied classroom for, uh, for the DfE, I think.
2: It wasn't Nick Gibb, was it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. look, on you, look on you old, better.
1: well i finished it. just have.
2: <laughs> so so yeah. um, I, I think uh, as well, one of the things I know your project that you're working on, and I think this ties in really nicely in terms of um, a, you're actually working on a project with your uh, children's school and some parents from the children's school, uh, designclub.co.uk, could you tell us about a little bit about that and and what your motivation was? Because I know it ties into your a lot of your philosophy as well, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I picked up an interest in design thinking a number of years ago when um, it was kind of a combination of frustrating meetings at school that kind of seemed to go on and not really be worth the time that was allocated to them. Um, a keynote from Ewan Macintosh when he was talking about design thinking and, and some of the frustrations I saw in school seemed like design thinking was a potential solution for those. Um, so I started sort of applying design thinking to what we did at school and to the work that we do with schools. Um, and then, yeah, I I kind of synced up with a couple of parents at my son's school, um, one of which is a UX designer, amongst other things, and another one. She does um, lots of kind of innovation and change work with organisations. And we were just kind of discussing... Um, what about doing a design club for school and getting the kids to experience this kind of process? Um, so we spent about a month kind of designing what we thought a design club could look like, and then we discovered designclub.co.uk and they've done it already. Um, so we took we te- we went along to a meetup. Um and you've discovered meetup, the the app and the like where you could just sort of post loads of different meetups. Uh, no, no, yes, yes, I know what you
2: mean. I know what you mean.
3: So just meet up the app and um, you can sign into it and you just can find loads of mostly free. In some cases, there's like a little admin charge, but loads of really interesting meetups um, in your area. It's really useful. And um, we went to, they did a design club meetup just to kind of show people the kits and you can, you can run this course where uh, in this case, the kids design an app, but there's more of a focus on um, empathy and being user centric, the kind of, the, the hallmarks of a design thinking approach uh, of always thinking around the user and kind of applying design principles from the very beginning of anything, not just like critifying at the end. Um, so yeah, there's kind of this process where they go through of thinking about a problem. Um, once we kind of found out enough about the problem, we'll then start thinking about ideas to try and solve it. They'll brain, uh, brainstorm a load of ideas uh, and then we'll prototype and test them and actually, the, um, they suggest using an app called Marvel app. So this is nothing to do with the rather large comic franchise. Um, so they've chosen their name badly. But Marv, the Marvel app, you can get on a phone or a tablet. Um, so I would used it with my son, actually, just as a as a test. You can draw a kind of draw a phone screen template. So you get the paper out and start drawing what your app might look like. And then you can take pictures of all of your different screens or your wireframes, if you like. And then the, the app will just allow you to put a box around a button and link it to other other screens. So my, my son created this kind of choose a door adventure um, and completely took over. We went to a friend's barbecue and all of my friends my age were, were just obsessed with his little app and trying to get through it. Because basically like 10 doors, you pick one, nine of the doors take you to know you've lost and one door takes you to another set of doors and on it goes. Um, so yeah, we're looking to basically in bring a little bit of design into the school experience. I mean, I I have my my reservations about the traditional schooling system. Um I don't know if any of you guys have talked about Agora. I think John Neal yeah. might have spoken about Agora when he came on. Yeah,
2: yep. yeah.
3: So like I, I do feel myself slightly more leaning towards that kind of approach of of stripping out a lot of the traditional aspects of education, um, but with the world changing so much, um, and thinking about so, you yeah, know, what does my eight year old son want to be when he grows up? His answer to that is actually a number of different things. He doesn't have one particular job. He wants to be a YouTuber. Um, he wants to be a wildlife photographer, uh, a cricketer. Um, and he sees a life where he travels around playing cricket while making a YouTube channel about it and also in between cricket games, nipping out into the wildlife and photographing things. That's what he sees his job as at the moment in the future. Um, That's cool. A lot of
0: people talk about how the next generation are going to be, they can refer to them as slashers, So they're going to be like a photographer slash wildlife Mm. researcher. Like That's how they're going to have to survive.
1: Yeah, and I, I I think if you look at it though, even even the the us, us get gents on the on the on the podcast tonight that we've not all done the same job from start to finish. Like uh, a few generations, that they, they're used to what do you want to be in the future? Actually, that can be multifaceted and, and can change over a period of time depending on uh, the environment. Actually, some of the the stuff the change that's been put on you, or actually your interest might change over the, the years as well. Or what day it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah if you can remember that, what day is it? <laughs> Friday because
3: <laughs> I, I think there's there's lots of you know as educators we we're always trying to how do we prepare kids for the future I think we're not going to ever quite nail it because if we could predict the future we'd probably have moved into other industries quite quickly <laughs> and be on our yachts sailing away um but what we can do is kind of look at those those core skills um and I think the design process is quite a useful one in, in being user-centric, so thinking about people, empathising with people, listening to them um, when you do your kind of user research, uh, and then being willing to willing to change as well and take feedback and all those kind of things that are, at the moment, they seem like long, skills that will be useful longer term than... I mean, if you take a the session, I do a lot, is obviously around Google and Google Sheets, where it, it will. So that's my phone responding. <laughs> it does it all the time. It's stupid. I say Google more often than most people do in their normal lives. Um, and that doesn't help having a, a Google phone that
1: responds. <laughs> Cheers, <it> okay. again. <laughs> so, people who, who, who go at us for product placement, we clearly don't. Just to clarify that Ben's just <laughs> said that uh, don't buy a Google products. So. Hey,
3: <laughs> joining you on an Apple Macintosh today
2: as well. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know? That's uh, that. Yeah, it's it's quite funny that you uh, that you that, that happened because it happened to Mark cowon as well. <laughs> so you're you're in great company. It's always Google Homes went off crazy. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm I'm going to go back into what you just said, Ben. Yes, and you, you just talked about design thinking and the process of. And and I've been to one of your sessions, and and I really enjoyed it. I think it was last summer, and it was a two-day process in in the Google offices. Mm. Um, And and we looked at how we can implement some changes and some prototyping and some design thinking processes in in education. Um, And what really resonated with me is in terms of this prototyping stage and actually don't be too precious with your idea. And I think, actually, that's a bigger picture thing in terms of the culture that sometimes we have, that people come up with ideas and are really scared that that might fail because they might be... Remembered for the person who came up with something that didn't work, and I think I think we really have to change that in terms of the leaders in education, not just actually the way we deliver it to students.
3: Yeah, one of the areas I I felt kind of went against the design thinking philosophy in school was sometimes I don't know if it happens in all. I mean, in my schools, the schools I've worked in, sort of in Epsom um, outside of Croydon, there was if you wanted to be an assistant head, generally speaking, you would apply with a solution so this is how i'm going to tackle learning and teaching this is how i'm going to tackle inclusion um and you'd apply with like a presentation as well as the interviews and if that person got the role it was pretty much incumbent that they were going to drive that solution through so i'm now going to make the idea that you liked and chose me for work and it doesn't leave much room for a few months in saying oh you know that thing that you you liked, and I said I was going to implement. Well, it's not working, and I'm going to stop it. Um, And it's not an easy place to do that. So, yeah, culturally, removing some of those kind of, that ownership of ideas is really important, and that's something that the design process is very good at. Um, Even if it's just something as simple, I don't know, probably with you, Stephen, at that event, we did the kind of put a load of problems up and then vote with the sticky dots. Yep. And that process for meetings of, Share your challenges, vote on the ones that are most pressing for us now. Or put your all your ideas up and we'll vote on the one that we want to that seems interesting, we want to find out more about. It removes ownership of all of those ideas. Um, and there's no one kind of desperately trying to justify their idea, um, even you know, when it probably hasn't got the legs. Um yeah. so I think that, that process is if you
2: can get that culturally in, it's tricky, but that that could help a lot. And Steve obviously will, will, will do a lot of this stuff in Stockholm in the uh, in in a few weeks time. And the, I love the fail bell me. That's one of my favourite things. That people yeah. like ringing the bell on failure and it's a really good thing to do um, because it means that you you're iterating, you're trying new things, and you and you're listening to that feedback and research that you're talking about. I think it's a really lovely part of the process. Yeah,
1: uh, I, I, I'm gonna sorry, I'm gonna keep going on this. And I think I was watching um. A TED Talk by a lady called Lynn Hill. Uh, you guys must have seen it, and it's about how to manage uh, for collective creativity.
2: Um,
1: nope, and and she's a leader, um, a leadership visionary, and she's a professor in leadership. And she talks about um, and she's done research on like things like Pixar when they were going, and she talked about it at the time where they were producing Ratatouille, and it's all about actually how often do we get teams together to share and collective. They look at a vision, or do we just tell somebody who's a, a manager, right? You come up with a solution. We don't actually look at the collective and think there might be sparks of genius and an outstanding practice that we just often overlook. And and, it, and she talked about the fact that um, somebody came up with an idea at Pixar where they said, "Oh, well, we're going to do this drawing," and it spent it took this person six months, and the designer just said, "No, no, we're not going to do that." And then six hours later, the person went, "You know what?" actually that's an amazing idea and then the whole way that it's set up into the pixar she talks about google and how they looked at gmail and 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 that is a massive concept that i think maybe should be played in schools that whole thing of collective creativity rather than just thinking one individual can be the head of innovation or whatever
3: yeah it's one of the big challenges for a range of organizations like do if we want to innovate and it's obviously quite pressing to do that there's kodak's are uh, the examples of of companies that didn't kind of keep the innovation bit going? Um, so companies keen to innovate, but do they have an innovation unit? Do they allocate a group of individuals to be responsible for innovation, or is it something that just pervades everyone? Um, and there's there's a, a fair argument to say if you allocate it to one specific group, then that that says to everyone else, you're not the creative ones here that's our creative team through there. Um, And actually uh, I was listening to a podcast. It's called Google method, um, but it's their, their user experience kind of team. And they interview a load of Googlers from across that. And uh, they've got a design sprint um, team internally that you can just pick up and bring into your part of your uh, team's work. Um, So rather than, them being the innovators, if you like. Um they just take the innovation process and make it accessible to ed- everyone and anyone working in the organization. Um I think Lego do something similar. I think they've got a design sprint um sort of team that goes around and facilitates design sprints across the I'm saying design sprint. Do I need to explain that? Uh, I don't maybe,
1: know. What it means. Maybe maybe yeah. for the listeners and, and uh, yeah definitely. Yeah so
3: Initially, the, the term came from a, a guy called Jake Knapp. So Jake Knapp was working at Gmail um, and they'd been thinking about this idea for a kind of video calling thing and it just sloshed around for a while and never got anywhere with it. So they set aside a week um, with a team and they, they, did, they looked around at what was available. They started to come up with some prototypes and ideas and then tested them with real users all within a week um, and actually came up with Hangouts out of that. So he then kind of refined this process and took it to Google Ventures. So Google Ventures works with startups uh, and they did did this sprint process with Slack, for example. So whereas in Slack in the early days, they went through this five-day design sprint process. Takes the principles of design thinking, but design thinking is something you want to culturally embed in your organization, a way of doing things. The design sprint is kind of like an accelerated short version of the design thinking principles that you can fit into a week. What's been interesting is I, um, I've, I've done a few sprints with schools, um, but as you can probably guess, getting a school, the idea of going to a school and saying, give me like seven of your key people from across the organization for four days straight. Um, and they look at you like you're mad. So um, I've done a lot of sprints that have been condensed into, much shorter periods of time with schools, just because of, uh, you know, the time in schools to do that kind of thing is um, is tough. But it allows you to, in a very short period of time, take on a like a meaty problem in the organisation and come out with some tangible um, answers to key questions. You, know, you can, I mean, it might be that you just come out and realise no, you shouldn't do that thing you've been talking about. We've tested it quickly with with users and it's not going to fly so we're not going to waste time money or uh sort of resources thinking about it anymore or you might find an insight that you didn't even appreciate um so yeah there's a lot of design sprints going on in not just google facebook lego but um but also kind of into schools and you've had you've had envy on right envy
2: yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah there's a (laughs) there's a a sort of not a worldly hero going out into education but he's just gone over to the Stanford Design School Um, and I think he'll be sort of design thinking and sprinting his heart out there sort of taking on big challenges Um, it's an interesting area to have a look at but the the book Sprint by Jake Knapp is well worth a read gives you real insight into that process and then if you want to sort of quickly get into it without reading the whole book Um, Then there's a company called AJ and Smart. Um, They're based out of Berlin and they do design sprints for a range of different companies as well as doing user experience design. But they've got a YouTube channel um, and they will take you through. uh, It's actually, they've got design sprint 2.0, which they do in four days. I don't know if you remember like, you know, eight minute abs. Oh no, I can do seven minute abs. Uh, (laughs) There's a little bit of uh, an arms <laughs> race on, and I think there's even a Design Sprint 3.0 by another another Design Sprint agency. But nonetheless, AJ and Smart has some great
0: YouTube videos if you want to learn about the process. That's good. I noticed you uh, you posted uh, a certificate that you, you'd done a, a masterclass in design thinking and innovation with this is at the Royal College of Art.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I spotted yeah, the Royal College of Art was doing a kind of, it's two day, but I actually started late on the first day and finished early on the second day so it's like a day's worth split over two days um but it was actually host it was hosted at the um design museum um so that was really interesting because the royal college of art do a lot of design thinking processes they get approached by government organizations as well as other companies um to do design um innovation and design projects um so we got yeah i got kind of to spend a couple of days in a room with people from there was a there was a Swiss watchmaker in the room who'd come along for the course, as well as um, a Japanese uh, restaurant designer, but like only did design for like Michelin star Japanese restaurants. <laughs> um, so everyone did their introductions, went around. So you've got yeah, you know, I make I make Swiss watches, uh, I design restaurant experiences for the you know Michelin star restaurants, and eventually I was last to go in the introductions you know can you imagine it i used to be a maths teacher and now i work with education it just didn't quite have the same did you put the bromeocton on oh yeah yeah I, i pull that out whenever i need to Really make people
0: feel sorry for me. <laughs>
1: just jump in now,
0: though, yeah. And I've been an extra in Peaky Blinders. <laughs> Steve, that was that was an amazing Brummy accent. <laughs> that, that,
1: that, that's probably my best one. It was, it was, part, it was part Welsh, part Jamaican, and part, part Brummy as well. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy with
0: that one. I, lo- I love how you did it quietly, almost like we weren't going to notice. <laughs> I, uh,
1: I, I, I I I I was just going to talk it, and then I realised actually I'm trying to pretend to be Brummy at the same time, and I was like. Yeah, I just can't. So
2: I'll, I'll do this quietly. Guys, guys, Steve, just just come back with it, see. Just come back with it, see. That's all you need to come back to. Dan will show up then. We will talk, but do, do you want to ask that question, Dan, about Itzy Itzy Teeny I Can't, uh, can't, can't swear on the podcast. Uh, Dan thinks that <laughs> Itzy is Isty.
1: He it, doesn't understand f- the difference. See, I don't. And, and, every, and every, <laughs> I uh, and don't every, think every, that. And every time you tell him. <laughs> And every, every time we go to this moment, he then he, he, he overthinks it and then we'll go, yeah, we're going to have to talk about it's it, And then he's like, oh, God damn it, it's, I mean, Itsy. It. So uh, do you want to talk to us about it, Itsy? It? No, I'm, and, I'm, and that's I'm, what we've done there? I'm logging off. Timmy, I've got a Timmy
3: that. Mallet image in my head now. It's ridiculous.
1: Uh,
3: <laughs> what would you like to know about Itsy? Oh, it's uh, it. how to spell it, how to spell it? <laughs>
0: Oh, shut up, Steve. Just do the uh, just do the brummy accent. That's all. That's all we came here for. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so, so, you, so you obviously have done a lot of stuff at ISTI. I knew we did it then. You've done a lot of stuff at ISTI. Uh, will you talk to us about some of that stuff that you've done? And uh, I know that it, that'll t- probably tie into the stuff on plastics. I, I'm really keen on that that kind of So
3: Yeah, I mean, um, so you've had Dean Stokes and Ollie Trussell on before, and it's probably worth starting with them. So. A few years ago, on the bet stand, Dean just put in a four-day shift on the Google stand-up bet, um, just doing little random demos for anyone that would stick around and watch. Um, and I think a load of the Google for Education team saw, saw this teacher just demoing his heart out. Um, and that then led to the the demo that you've probably, a lot of people will have seen at the Google stand-up bet with Dean and Ollie sort of doing 20-minute demos Uh, back-to-back for four days. Um, Obviously, they've been now, they're both now, uh, Google employees. I like to refer to myself as a Google for Education recruitment consultant these days. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that's kind of led to, that was the beginning of our more direct relationship with the Google for Education team um, and those demos. So initially, it was uh, BET demos, and then it got seen by some of the U.S. team who then wanted to take it over to ISTI. So ISTI, the organization, is more wide-ranging than just the one conference they do every year. Um, very different to BET, actually, in their approach. So ISTI is a not-for-profit organization that has kind of education with technology at the heart of what they do. So they, um, there are ISTI standards, um, and actually there's a new ISTI certification that educators can take. Um, it's quite a rigorous process, actually. It's a you do a two-day course, and then you've got a portfolio to build afterwards. Credits on it. yeah, yeah. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't it's not something that necessarily kind of chimes with UK educators, but it's um, it's definitely worth considering for anyone in kind of what whatever the equivalent of a tech integrationist role would be over here. Um, anyway, I digress. The, so, yeah, the uh, the ISTE conference. Um, we were asked first of all at South by Southwest Edu. So South by Southwest is the big, like, really interesting festival. The week before, there's an education version, um, and Google were doing an event at that, and they they asked us because of the demo work from the past if we could design an experience for attendees at South by Southwest in Austin. Um, so we were looking for rather than rather than like here's Google Classroom and here's a doc and you, you can collaborate and look at voice typing. Um, we were looking for kind of ra- how can you wrap this up in an experience, make it more kind of instructional design process. Um, and so we decided to focus around plastics in the ocean. So that first plastics in the ocean demo we did was at South by Southwest in Austin. Um, and that meant you you came in um, and you'd have an in- the instruction hub was where you'd start and get the more traditional kind of, uh, delivery, get them into Google Classroom, introduce the research document and, and take them through finding out a little bit more about the um, the problem of plastics in the ocean. Talk about the Pacific garbage patch, um, which is uh, a huge accumulation of rubbish and plastic in the Pacific Ocean. Um, we then take them on into the research lab and uh, Tom Mullaney, um, ran that that part of it for us at ISTE. I know you've had him on as well, the Jamboard and tour creator legend and expert, yeah, no um, and just a, a wonderfully lovely guy. Um, so he ran that bit, which is where you would experience a tour that we created using Tour Creator, where you go to Henderson Island in the Pacific, so uninhabited island covered in plastic. Um, and then you sort of see the impacts of the plastic we talked about before in the instruction hub, um, we did a we did a video call to a professor called Imogen Napper. So she's out of the uh, University of Plymouth, and she has been on research vessels out in the Pacific looking into this problem. And actually, she's come up with a, a biodegradable bag, shopping bag. Really interesting, actually. Imogen Napper, look her up. She's um, she's doing some amazing work. Um, and then we take them into the creative lab where we would look at how could you based on what you've learned, how can you come up with some creative solutions? So how could you, for example, help people recycle better, get into better habits? How could we raise awareness, so making videos? um, Or how could you come up with solutions? So we had some Lego on the table and people could prototype and kind of make an animation of of what a solution would look like. Um, So that experience we created for Southpaw was also used at ISTE, um, so, in addition to doing the on-stand demo, um, we were in a separate part of the um, of the conference, which was in Philadelphia this year, um, and it'll be Anaheim next year. Uh, doing that experience for people, so it's been it's been interesting to build. Yes, it is showcasing the tools, but it's been interesting to be able to build a learning experience that educators can can understand. Um, and a lot of that work is is kind of looking at where is this going it's all these different types of technology exist and if we get a bit more agnostic you know the collaboration piece the creativity which is across all platforms and tools you can see aspects of that is well, what does this look like when you might put it together in a learning context and apple did a very similar thing at ISTE they had a um, Experience you could go through where they put all of their tools together to showcase a kind of classroom learning experience. So it seems that, that that's where educators are at with the use of technology. The they, they more often they know it exists, um, but they're looking for um, how is this fitting together? Uh, and that's something we've been fortunate to be able to start building for events is, is kind of showcasing how you might meld it together to make a, a decent learning experience. Um, and actually, I, I, you know, the future trends um, research that Google have put out, there's yeah. been some edu-on-air stuff. Um, it's those kind of things, really, those trends is, well, what do they tangibly look like for educators? Because um, I'm fortunate now I get to go and do events like ISTE and we have a wonderful room set up for us or, you know, the stand. Um, but I also get to go and do... Training sessions in primary schools across the UK, um, and it's a good it's a good leveler just to remind myself. You know, when you're kind of unscrewing the VGA cable from the back of the PC, um, trying to get on the Wi-Fi, discover there's a proxy, uh, and just remind yourself about the reality of of technology in schools and what's the what's the journey from where schools are to putting it all together in a really effective way.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I love that idea of. The fact that uh, I think it's probably the most inspirational stories I ever hear in education uh, from, for me personally, or when you you hear of groups of students who are solving real world problems. And Mm. and I think it's, it's almost shocking because it's, it's just, it's out of the, the normal teacher's experience because, and we've talked about it before, because student work goes in a book, goes on a shelf, and then that book disappears at the end of the year, um, but where we're getting students actually working on problems that can be that could that go out to the general public that that have an audience that are solving solutions for real world problems and it's something i've been thinking about a lot recently with i, I lead on careers at my school and just how to get local businesses involved in the school and actually trying to um as a bit of a sweetener for them to to say well our students could be a resource for you here. If you if you got problems in your in your business in your organisation, why not bring them to a, a group of students and see what they make of them?
3: Exactly that, and I think you go back to Stephanie Ladbrook, um in 2013 that told that story about her rainforest project. So this is a this was like eight nine year olds. And so the concept that you might inherit as a secondary school teacher, a kid whose rainforest project when they were eight was getting a local company to change their packaging that they used to a more sustainable source. Are you, you know, is your curriculum ready to take that kid on from what they did then? Are they walking into a year eight or year nine lesson where the teacher says today we're going to do rainforests. And yeah. you know, the kid's polite, so they don't say anything, but they're sitting there going, Oh, I know quite a lot about that because we did a project on it and we made change in our community. How can you harness that? Because, that kid could take the lesson, arguably.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Probably has more experience than the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually, usually. <laughs> uh, ben Rouse, uh, thanks for joining us. It's been a it's been a, an amazing conversation. We've been I think we've been on the go for about fifty minutes now, uh, which is is a good podcast. I like it when a podcast lasts like a nearly a good hour um yeah oh i can i can talk <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's been brilliant it's been brilliant having mean i love to be able to go around the houses as well but also talk about it's really clear your passion um for education and uh, all the stuff that that you're doing all around the world so yeah we really appreciate you coming on us finding time for us so thank you
3: no pleasure and thank you for you know it's not it's not a light undertaking to produce the amount of content that you guys are so i really appreciate your time too
1: Thanks, Thanks, Ben. Cheers, Ben. Cheers. Absolutely class, mate.